0: This week we are joined by Great Britain's three-time paratriathlon world champion and Rio 2016 Paralympic silver medalist Lauren Steadman. After a difficult year for sport across the board, Lauren is fresh from her first World Cup back in Aleandra, Portugal. Uh, So Lauren, great to have you on the podcast and your gold medal aside, just how good was it to be back racing at the weekend?
1: Well, firstly, thank you for having me. It's great to be on here and chatting to you. Um, The weekend, well... I had no expectations after what's been the craziest year in the world. Um, I didn't know how I was, to be honest, the scariest part was the thought of doing a flying mount after a year and two months. Um, but I did it and I, I didn't hurt myself. Um, but no, it was fantastic to be back there. I think it's just that blue carpet feeling. It's just, I don't know, walking out and it's, you know, it's an official, ITU race like it has that vibe about it. and um, had some girls to race who were I guess in the same boat as me They're all a little bit nervous at how we're gonna, you know race and how how's the outcome gonna be? Um, but it, it was just awesome to be back there felt a little rusty But just putting your body through the you know Those kind of paces and realizing that actually although we weren't doing the training that you know We were used to doing and probably not in the position and fitness that we would have been had it have been a normal year did pretty well off the back of it. Like it was a pretty awesome race. So it was got really hot in the run. Um, but yeah, I flew down the swim, um, the bike course, a couple of small hills in that, and then it was pretty steady. And then onto the run, and it was just really hot. By that point, it was about 30 degrees, but it was just mm. great to be out there. So no, I had an amazing time.
0: Yeah, well, a good test in those conditions as well. At what, what point did you sort of, at what point was that race confirmed and you were like, right, that is my goal now for the next however many weeks?
1: Um. I actually was waiting for it at any point to be taken off the schedule. So I kind of, my coach said, listen, they haven't taken the race in Portugal off the cards yet. So let's just do that one as an end of season and you can have a bit of time off after and then we'll go straight back into things uh, ready for next year, Tokyo 2021. So I was like, okay. But the whole time I was like, I have a funny feeling any day I'm going to receive an email that says, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. But it did happen. Um, and I was lucky to get out here and do a bit of warm weather training beforehand um, down in the Algarve. So that's, also been good as well so things are open out here in the Algarve it's very different to what we've got in the UK so I've been able to get into a swimming pool whenever I've needed to you know the, the Olympic gym was open so it's actually been kind of like a good end to the season a good solid four weeks and then the race just kind of topped it off.
0: Brilliant yeah and I, I presume like this has been comfortably your longest break from racing like even injuries included and everything like it's been well like you said over 12 months right?
1: Yes I think that's been the longest I've ever had, and. I've done some sort of local ones in the UK that were I guess just a big hard training hit out is what I kind of approached them as um but nothing that like I said has that kind of blue carpet uh sense of doing like an actual race race at the standard that we're used to so a couple of small hit outs um I think Zwift has become like my my racing platform um quite regularly doing TTs there against my coach so um and it's kind of been like racing, but not quite the same vibes.
0: And, like, logistically, obviously, like big paratriathlon races are very involved already. So, did the added protocols kind of was that tricky to deal with as well? Or,
1: um, I guess, with having. Paratriathlons and hosting them like obviously they've got such a spectrum of disabilities and having handlers and all the aspects that come with i guess just thinking outside the box as opposed to i guess normal able-bodied triathlons um all the little things you have to think of but i'd say that actually at the weekend um in alhandra it was it was really smooth and they'd worked so hard to make sure that actually the athletes didn't notice that there was a lot going on behind the scenes and um, it was to always you know clean hands masks on everywhere you went only if you warmed up and then the actual race itself could you uh, take the mask off but apart from that um everything felt really effortless um and i guess having a virtual race briefing that was different as well because you're normally in the room and ask questions um but that went smoothly as well so i feel as though that actually they kind of did everything that was needed, um, but it didn't affect us too much. So yeah, it was amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be in Azacena at the weekend as well. And apart from like the traveling with the mask on, it kind of, you just sort of forget it's there in a way, don't you? And
1: yeah, I think we're also used to it now um, in everything we do that actually it's just what we do now. So yeah, it, it, it felt kind of normal, but different.
0: Yeah. So you said you've been in Portugal for a few weeks then. Um, prior to that, was it kind of locked down and, and coming out of in the UK and, and where are you based and how, is it, how has it been?
1: Yeah, so I was uh, all of, pretty much all of last year training out in Lanzarote with my coach. That's where he's based. Um, so I kind of had to flee Spain um, and get back to the UK as soon as I can because British run, um wanted me to be in the UK rather than overseas. So I got back and... I live in a very small flat and it logistically wouldn't have worked with triathlon. I uh, couldn't have put a running machine in there or anything like that. So I moved up to my parents. Um, literally just the day of lockdown moved into um, a new house in the country. So had lots to do with them. And my dad had created this awesome double garage that had a treadmill in it. It had my kicker with my bike and a whole gym. So
0: no, oh, I bet he loved putting that together for you. So. So he
1: did. And he was often in there with me. My parents became really, Really fit over lockdown because my mum was riding her mountain bike next to me whilst I was running. Dad was doing bike rides with me. Um, that was actually became a thing on Tuesday mornings. I've got a strip of 10 miles um, outside where their house is. It's like the old motorway. I'd set him off about three minutes, 45, four minutes ahead of me, and it was like a 10-mile <laughs> and I had to hunt him down. Um, so yeah, I got some new training partners. Um, but no, in general, I actually had a really lovely experience, out. I know that some other athletes had a difficult time, you know, just hearing that the games was canceled alone. Um, I left home at 14 to go to a boarding school. So for me to go home and spend six months with my family and still train. Um, and then on the side of that, I create a, a mental health wellbeing uh, company and don't manage to raise and donate 20,000 pounds to mine. So I had a really good experience. Like I was really happy.
0: Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And I suppose, sport does play a huge role in that as well right and, and I mean at the start of lockdown you know March April time it seemed like the streets were just full of people running certainly where I live and so on and then I don't know if that tailed off as people came out of lockdown and so on but I wonder if now there's actually enough now that we're at the sort of almost like the harder end of people kind of dealing coming into terms with what's happened this year the exercise thing has sort of been forgotten a little bit and I think that could be more important than ever now for people's well-being coming out at the end of the year
1: definitely I mean as an athlete I've always I always love to see people whether that's younger kids um I guess working adults or elderly doing some form of exercise so I had a lot of friends um that aren't sporty message saying oh I'd like to get a road bike because it just became a thing like they had this one hour of time and they wanted Mm -hmm. to get out whether that was running like you said or that was going out on a road bike and I know that lots of places sold out of road bikes and I was like actually in a way that's really nice they might all end up in ebay in a year's time but right now it's great that people are trying this and exploring it Um, and one of my best friends um she's never really done much exercise and she got a road bike and she absolutely at first she was like oh it's really hard work the hills are horrible and i said but once you find your legs like going up the hills you'll probably beat your boyfriend because you're lighter than him Mm -hmm. Um, so i'm hoping that people did learn different lifestyles and and it taught me actually what is important and what isn't um in the grand scheme of things we I think sometimes when you have to notch things back you realize that family time is important that slowing down sometimes that having time for yourself is important so it might have I guess tailed off a little bit towards the back end now but I think people are still aware of it um and that was one of the reasons why I started the the mental well-being company with my with my friend Tammy was just because wanted to show people and our slogan is you are stronger than you think you are because actually people get in their heads I can't do this I can't do that but you actually can and it's just a sense of belief so if going out and learning to run a 5k was your thing in lockdown you know that's actually fantastic well done you you might not continue it just yet but you will pick it up at some point
0: yeah what was this company born out of what's happened this year or was it something that you were already working on?
1: Um, we were already working on it, and I guess it was kind of a post, post-Tokyo post 2020 thing. Um, I was so focused on the games, and then lockdown hit, and I was like, we don't know if the games is happening. We don't know what's going to go on. I've got some free time right now. I'm just, you know, I train in the morning, train in the afternoon, and then I've got a big block of time. So we decided to go ahead for it. And I um, I was on the, the UK's TV show, SAS Who Dares Wins, and I was on there with a, a bunch of other celebrity recruits, and I kind of spoke to everyone and said, listen, we've just been through – like the worst week nine days of our lives that we know we needed to be strong we were resilient we found a way to do things even when we thought we couldn't so let's try now and share that ethos that methodology with everyone because lockdown's going to hit and it will affect people in different ways and not always positive so we all came together designed a t-shirt and and using the company that i set up Czu minds um basically sold over five t t-shirts and kind of created an online community where people felt that they could voice anything that they were struggling with or we gave them the platform to talk about what they've dealt with so that hopefully someone else dealing with something similar would listen and it might help them um we had some amazing stories come through and i've been running when i was back home in portsmouth i was running down the the street and one of the ladies had one of the t-shirts on that i designed and i was like oh nice t-shirt she was like that It was just like a really nice thing. So I guess a sense of community.
0: Is it something that you have yourself kind of struggled with? You've obviously, you've put yourself in some incredibly difficult positions. I was going to come to the TV shows later, but I mean, you were obviously on Strictly a few years ago and then this SAS thing, um, both of which for very different reasons are putting you through a, a huge amount of sort of physical and emotional turmoil in a way. Um, is that that's obviously something that attracted you to the offer of doing it in the first place
1: Uh, I think so I think um, it's very easy sometimes to get hooked up in what you can and can't do what scares you what doesn't scare you Um, being in the world of sport you're always constantly on that start line and you're in a sense of the unknown and how you deal with that sometimes dictates how well your race goes so I guess after being an athlete for sort of 16 years kind of learned a sense of control on that um, but I'm always looking for ways in which to I guess help others or guide others and I've had a lot of people that have said how do I just go and do things and I don't know if that's because I was born with one arm and um, I've got this kind of can do go do attitude I think it's something my parents installed into me but I like to make sure that I've tried absolutely everything and exhausted all avenues and everything I can do so when Strictly came along I guess for Strictly, it was glitter glamorous um uh, 14 000, 40 million people it would have 14 show million
0: on tv right i mean that's
1: <laughs> and like i guess my i'm okay to answer if you'd have asked my sister before can learn would be just in your face um and i guess it was just being in a zone that yeah, was really uncomfortable. I had six, seven months out of training. That was probably the hardest part to deal with. Was knowing that my training was going to take a big hit coming off the back of it. Um, not so much putting myself in the uncomfortable zone, but um, my partner AJ was amazing, and I went on there to. For anybody at home that thinks I can't do this because of this, or, I can't do that. You might not do it the same as everyone else, fine, but you can do it, and there is a way to do it, and that was what we constantly proved on Strictly. And I guess just body confidence, body image. Um, I've always been fine with having one arm. Um, and sport definitely helped make me more confident with having one arm, but going on a TV show where my arm was on display to so many people, like at first there was a couple of hesitations, I felt a bit self-conscious, and AJ said, listen, you're gonna stand here next to me with your head high, you're gonna deliver an amazing dance and put so much courage and confidence into so many people, that is why you're here. And then after that, I didn't even look back. And then on SAS, was again, the polar opposite, it was mud. It was dirt. It was no sleep. It was eating boiled kidney beans. It was—it was the grimmest experience of my life. And I
0: looked. For how long was were you experiencing all that?
1: Uh, we were in there for nine days. Right. And so, like after three days, you were kind of like, "Oh no, what have I done?" Um, but again, being an athlete and all those athletes that may listen to this, it's the mindset. And when it started to hurt. I kind of went into a happy place. Everyone else was looking at me like, this is really hurting. And I'm there like, you want it to hurt because the more it hurts, the more resilient you become and the better you become. And they're all there like, what a weird mindset to have. And I was like, that's all that I know. Um, so I did, I think I was quite happy to say that I enjoyed SAS more. Um, but again, it just proved to people that what dancing and, and being glamorous and that is one end of the spectrum, but you can also be something else. Um, and it was very, very physical that one. So I guess I just want to keep showing people that actually there are no limits to what you can do um, as long as you try hard enough and you believe in yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And did either of those, will they have brought something to your racing? Do you think like, is there anything in strictly that that would have improved your racing, anything in SAS that would have given you that extra kind of edge, do you think or?
1: I think on um, Strictly I come off the back of it and couldn't even push 80 watts on the bike so I lost all muscle mass and all my ability to push the pedals on the bike
0: but your balance was incredible
1: (laughs) well no and that was what I got from it was actually that my my body awareness was much higher and my running had moved on and I don't know if that's because I was more nimble and agile on my on my feet on my toes um but yeah so Bad effect on power and muscle, but actually my my running moved on a lot that year. Um, I think just might have loosened my lower back as well. You know, all the little things that you don't think of that dancing can give you. Uh, Core strength was stronger. Um, And then on SAS, uh, it was interesting because I actually did become really lean on there because you literally, you eat blocks of cheese, boiled eggs, white rice, boiled fish. it, It was very, very simple, simple diet. Um, and my coach said to me, listen, you've got the games next year anyway, so be exceptionally careful when you're doing everything. But once I got out and I rung him, um, and I was like, oh, you know, I I passed the course, I won the show, and he was like, oh, yeah, I didn't doubt that, and he went, "Um, well, really, I was gonna use it as a pre-season training anyway, I needed to find a way to toughen you up, and that was just a perfect opportunity, and I was like, well, why didn't you tell me that before I went in? Like, so I guess it was my pre-season, just jam-packed into nine days.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so, yeah. So for strictly, you were kind of presumably somewhat contractually obliged not to train too much, and that uh, as well, or no? That was not.
1: No, I, I could have done the training, um, but the one, time. Week, the one week. Well, yes, the one week that I did actually try because we were dancing eight a.m. till eight p.m. Um, and the one week that I did try to do it, uh, we were doing a lot of lifts, and basically I was tired. And when you do lifts in dancing, the girl still has to. I guess have a sense of rigidness and hold herself. There was a couple of times that AJ nearly dropped me because he's like, you're too heavy. You're so tired from your training that you can't hold yourself. And this is going to hold us back in getting a dance performance. So again, rung the coach and I was like, this is a situation. And his words were, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I will get you back when you finish. Mm. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So I committed myself totally to it. And then as soon as I finished the, the live TV show and then the tour around the country, we built back in and I had to work exceptionally hard for a few months, but I got back to where I needed to be.
0: And was that, were you missing out on actual races then as well, or was it mainly training block?
1: Uh, No, it was basically, I was out from September. So Gold Coast um, landed, I had to leave actually straight away after the race, landed, was up straight onto the TV show. Um, I managed to stay in until all the way through to December got three weeks off there and then January through till beginning of March we were on a tour um, right. and then I built in from March onwards so but there were a couple of early season races I could have done but I opted to Eventually,
0: start. Essentially it was close season and yeah.
1: yeah. So we just yeah. I didn't have a winter block and to be honest that year I was really really proud of all the outcomes of the races because if someone had said you're going to have seven months out but I think I only lost to the world title by one second. And I was like, Do you know what? Actually, if I seven months out, it's given me a bit of confidence, so that's fine.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, back to this year, um, the, the lack of racing, to not have that pressure of the, like you were talking about, like the blue carpet and the relentless, being on that start line, is, is it been kind of nice to be able to just focus just on the, on the training and not have, I mean, obviously you want to train for something, but given that you know that everyone is kind of in the same position, not having to do all the traveling and stuff, you know, you've been an athlete for 16 years. So to have a little bit of enforced break, slightly enjoyable?
1: Um, yeah. And I've, I've got, again, mixed feelings on it all. Like it, after doing the race, I realized actually how much I do love that, that feeling, you know, when you cross the line, you're like, wow, well, that was an epic race. And you're just surrounded by, I guess, people that you, you race against. But like you just said, to be able to remain in one place and get, it was basically like just a really long extended winter training block. Um, That's how we used it was because I've had, I guess, intermittent training the last couple of years with Strictly and stuff. It was like, actually, you know, this is perfect. We're going to use this as a massive building block. um, Just just a bit
0: more mum and dad than usual. (laughs)
1: Exactly. and my dad was complaining because his food bill went up excessively and the dog became really naughty and you know like <laughs> all those things happened um but I think actually yeah it was quality family time it was time to work on the small things like I am I think with just the style of training that I do I'm always very tense and tight and so um working on flexibility and mobility became a massive thing like it was It was a time that actually, if you were able to look at it and work on your real weaknesses as well as your strengths, you were going to come out of it better than you went into it. Um, So yeah, it's been positive for many things. Um, And and yeah, I guess just to get a solid training block in, be safe, be with family um, and realize what the greater and the bigger important thing is. And that's the safety of everyone over just having, it would have been lovely to go to the games because you're in that, it's the Olympic year, it's all exciting, but it will happen next year and we can go through it again, but safer.
0: Absolutely. And the Milan World Championships was obviously one of the first events to get cut as well. And it was, you know, far enough in advance, but then that date comes around and that's another kind of kick, isn't it? You know, you know, it's happening and then the date comes, you think some alert pops up on your phone that you were supposed to be flying that day and you kind of, particularly as when it's Paralympic year and you get that standalone opportunity in the two days and it's the, it's the, the chance for the sport to shine, isn't it?
1: Definitely. I think because it was a Europe, in, within Europe, it was an easy one for us to get to as Brits, um, which always quite helps with Worlds because you're already nervous enough, let alone dealing with all the travel. Um, and I was supposed to be doing Bermuda, which I think was two weeks before that as well. Of I um, but I think how I kind of sat down was I'd flown home. I was in the UK and it was like, oh, the race is going to happen. Are they not? You were only allowed outside for one hour a day. So everything was taking a hit. And it's like, I don't think I'm actually going to be able to race as well as I want to. So for me, I was like super, super disappointed because I was actually feeling really, really strong and in a good place at the beginning of this year. But then half of me was relieved because I don't think that any of the races this year, even the one I've just done, wasn't what I would call a five-star race delivery. Like it just wasn't for me. I I, I didn't feel sharp. I didn't feel all the things that I normally do. So actually it's better that the Games is postponed and all the races are because I probably wouldn't have been happy with the delivery of the races. Um, so yeah utter disappointment but then on the other hand actually relief because I, I would never want to race without knowing I'm at my best.
0: Yeah so you've been spending this time with your parents uh you were you said you were at boarding school from the age of 14 as well um and so but you know as a kid you were born without a lower right arm um is that a massive chunk of your memories as a kid or actually not particularly?
1: I have the fondest memories of my childhood. Um, I have never i guess felt as though having one arm has been exceptionally detrimental or limited me in any way um, sport since I've been a little girl has always been something that I've gone towards and I don't know if that's because sport has allowed me to feel as though actually I can do anything and that I do fit in um you know it was it was always hockey netball rounders absolutely loved all team sports at school you'd always see me there after school trying to probably get away from doing homework um but doing all the sports clubs and stuff and just fell into swimming um I think I was about 11 um went through what we have in the UK is like Kellogg's swim levels that you do and then went to a local little club and then someone said oh did you know they do disability swimming and I was like no I don't know what that is and then me and my dad went to a competition and six weeks later I was put onto a world-class development program so it was all really fast and if you'd have asked me when I was a youngster you know what do you want to be when you're older I probably would have said vet or an air hostess like they were the cool things to me when I was little um never would I ever dream that I was actually gonna I guess as of next year go to four paralympics and it, it's just a crazy thing but I'm, I'm really glad that my life I guess took took that path um, and I think the way that my, my attitude is and my personality is, is down to my parents. Um, my mum said it was very easy when I was born to, you do with any baby, you want to do everything for the kid, you want to make sure it's okay, but she was like, with you I had to be very, very tough with myself on you because otherwise you were always going to rely on everyone else to do things for you, so she was like, I would literally let you exhaust every opportunity put in front of you before I'd go, do you need any help, Lauren? And even then I probably would say, why don't you do it this way first, and then you'd go, oh, I can do it that way instead of just helping you all the time. And she often says now she thinks that's why I'm so stubborn. Um, But I like to say determined. Um, Two very different words, mum. But yeah, I think that's just, yeah, I have really good memories. and I've always been surrounded by solid friends um, and fellow um, teammate, Claire Cashmore. um, I'm pretty sure everyone will know her. She We actually went to school together. So when I went to the boarding school, she was still there. Um, And until the age of 14, I used to always wear a prosthesis. um, I guess, coming from a state school and somewhere where, you know, different doesn't always fit in. Um, I went to this boarding school and Claire was kind of like, um, listen, it was really weird. People love stumps. And I was a bit like, "Uh, what? And she was like, yeah, you don't need to wear your arm here. Like, you know, people, you're a swimmer. We love you. And then kind of from that point onwards, slowly, slowly, I stopped wearing my arm. Um, So, yeah, big shout out to Claire for that. Um, She was like, like, yeah, she just kind of gave me the, Yes, the the empowerment or the, the belief that actually, you know, I, I can go around without an arm on, and, and acceptance, um, and that was kind of the start of everything. Um, so yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey, but I wouldn't change anything.
0: A stupid question, possibly, but um, were you wearing a prosthesis for for playing certain sports as well, or so my or mum hockey or or no? Yes,
1: yeah, so my mum put me in the prosthesis when I was about six months old because of balance and development of the shoulders she wanted to make sure that this arm had enough weight because otherwise you can see some people when they have one arm it's like this because this one's heavier so I'm pretty level and I think it's because I for most of my development years I wore a weighted prosthesis um which I'm really grateful for thanks mum um and then I think in netball I used to wear one uh hockey I I was keeper goalkeeper in hockey um so obviously like you stand there and you do it and then rounders, I would have worn one as well yeah I don't think I did when I was doing the athletics or swimming, obviously. Um, but yeah. And now if, if I was going to back to do all those sports, I probably wouldn't wear the arm. Um, but yeah. And
0: then, so like you said, you're 27, you're 27 now, right?
1: I think so. Yeah. Will you
0: be? <laughs> and like to be approaching your fourth Olympics and you're still only 27 is, is pretty amazing. Obviously uh, as a, paratriathlete that wouldn't have been the case you wouldn't have had your first Paralympics at the age of 15 um was so for starters was kind of as you went to boarding school at the age of 14 was the Beijing 2008 your first Paralympics already on the cards then did that feed into the decision at all was it like right go to the school focus on swimming and
1: yeah so I had um I went to this school in the September and the following September would have been the Paralympics in Beijing. I I get one, no, to qualify for, I can remember it because probably it was the first time. To qualify for the 100 meters freestyle, I had to hit one minute, seven seconds and 17. And my PB when I went to this boarding school was one minute 16. So there was a massive drop off there. And my parents knew that perhaps it wasn't for this games that I would be targeting, it would be what would have been London. Mm. As long as that's Beijing, yeah, then London. Um, so we had that in mind, but there was always the chance. And I went from doing 15,000 meters a week of swimming to 55,000 meters. And trust me, dumped in the deep end like every morning, every evening, got Saturday afternoon, Sundays off. And I'd probably be in a coma for those kind of bits of the weekend. Um, and it trained really, really hard, got round to the qualifiers. And I believe I went a 106.86. In the heats and that got me under the qualifying time um hadn't expected it felt absolutely amazing and i believe that time had like posted me within like the top six in the world and i was only 15 it was like a bit surreal um and then yeah and then obviously went to the games after that because i would qualified so hadn't expected it but knew that if i worked hard enough it was within my grasp um so yeah but it was it was a, i can still remember it as well And if someone said your favorite sporting moment you know, I have the three world titles, I have silver medal from Rio, but it may still be that moment of touching the wall and hearing the commentator say like, Lauren Steadman, Lane 4, Kelly College has qualified. And it's just like, <laughs> cause I just think it sticks with you forever.
0: For sure. Yeah, that absolute sort of, that particular sound of it coming out of that speaker as well and that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, so obviously London 2012, you were still very much a swimmer. Um, triathlon had sort of entered your life a little bit at that stage
1: yes so my uncle he's actually president of new zealand triathlon now um graham perks he um he basically did triathlons and he was like oh triathlon's such a better sport than swimming you should be a triathlete then and i used to do a bit of cross training when i came home from the boarding school anyway um i'd always ridden a bike and done quite enjoyed running i wouldn't say i'm the best runner but i enjoyed it and just before London 2012, so it would have been 2011, um, I decided to enter the British Championships in the UK for Paratriathlon and had come second behind Claire Cunningham because um, Faye McClellan had burnt our hand on strainers. That's how much I can remember. And basically, Johnny Rowe, he was he was still around now as he was back then, said, oh, you know, fantastic, that's amazing. I said, listen, Johnny, I really enjoyed it, but for the next year, my goal is London 2012. That's what I'm focused on, that's what I want, I'm a swimmer. So I did it, um, trained really hard, and then straight away, i just finished racing in London, and I think i just got home, was like, ooh, we can have some time off now, um, post games, and Johnny rung me and he said, do you fancy coming out to New Zealand? Um, we've got our world championships in six weeks. And I was like, uh, okay, my uncle lives in New but Zealand. I just
0: enjoyed this for a <laughs>
1: Yeah, so my uncle lives in New Zealand, so I was like, right, um, Uncle Graham, I'm coming out, and I need you to coach me, get me ready for a trip, so I had to learn how to ride like a road bike, I had to get a wetsuit, obviously, fitted with one arm, I, the running, I had no, I had no idea, nothing, um, so I went out there for five weeks, and did. I came fifth because I got food poisoning the day before, but I actually, you know, I really enjoyed it, loved, loved the whole ethos, the vibes, and everything, and didn't look back.
0: So in firmly at the deep end then?
1: Yeah, like literally like straight in. My first major race was at world championships and yeah, I, I came fifth, but in my head I was like, wow, five weeks of training, food poisoning, like literally the night before the race, um, I had a bit of bread, some jam and butter, and that kind of went out of my system when we got past the swim because I remember feeling awful for the rest of it. Um, I was like, if I can come fifth in the world with that kind of lead in, imagine where I could take this um and I guess it was hard at first because in swimming it's so regimented and so precise whereas in the world of triathlon the beauty of it is you have three different disciplines and even those disciplines themselves have flexibility like you can be out running you can be on a treadmill you can be indoors on your bike you can go mountain biking you can go road cycling like you can run anywhere um and getting to grips with that difference in sport of the flexibility was probably the hardest part but once I'd kind of got to grips with that absolutely love the training love the racing love the people
0: yeah and and has the kit kind of evolved with you as well or are you using pretty much the same kind of stuff as you were back Um, then in terms of you know the brakes and the the gears and
1: yeah so my first I've always been very very lucky with support actually which is the one thing that I'm really grateful for um so I had a motor and we Yeah, my setup was slightly different. I've always worn my my NHS arm prosthesis that was the last one made for me when I was 14, and I stopped wearing it. And everyone's always like, "Oh, don't you want a better arm? Don't you want a carbon fiber one or a better setup?" Until you can give me an arm that I am happy to fly around a corner at 30 miles an hour and not come off, and be able to handle the bike, whatever. I'm not changing it. So this one you feel totally
0: comfortable with. This is like, yeah, this is the one you've had for so long.
1: I can control that bike with that prosthesis. If I came off and broke this wrist, I'd be able to finish the race using that arm. So that is how, I don't think I can replicate that. And until I find something, I, for me, I'd rather have an element of confidence in my own handling skills than a slightly lighter arm, which might make me fractionally faster. Um, that's kind of where my headset is. Um, yeah, so the, the arm is still the same. We're still using, obviously I've gone up, the first bike I had didn't have electric gear. So I've now got Di2 run that now and the brake problem we'd already solved that back then by having what's called a problem solver like a both brake uh, cables go into one lever Um, the next challenge which I think all one-armed people are probably going to have to do soon when the new bikes are coming out um, is obviously most bikes coming out now with uh, disc brakes and the problem we've got is using those um, I think the brakes can't really you can work them both cables on um rims but hydraulic system with two cables and trying to get one lever to pull is proving a problem at the moment so Mm -hmm. that's the next challenge that um i'm working on i know claire is and then also i speak quite regularly with um sarah story and obviously they're looking at it as well because bikes have disc brakes now so that's the next that's the evolvement i think next is getting it to work with disc brakes
0: um and claire claire obviously didn't race alejandra no um i mean your results are sort of First, second, first, 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 the odd second, but basically, and obviously, Claire kind of came onto the scene in 2017, right? So, um, yeah, you guys are are pals, great rivals on and off and all around. And
1: yeah, so I'd say actually, like the top three of us, Grace, Claire, and me, I'd say are the kind of, if we turn up at a race, it's kind of like, oh, take bets on who's going to take the top spot. Like, and, and for me, coming through for so long now and being in the world, and actually, having healthy competition like that is what racing's about so like at first it was kind of difficult because when you've been at the top for so long you're like you're, you're used to being in that position and it's like oh my gosh someone's come along but actually now after having last year where I, I wasn't at my peak fitness because of you know strictly and all that but actually having the year where I had to have a strategy in place for a race and actually race like it was amazing to have the competition and a couple of races like me and Claire were shoulder to shoulder on the run and it's exciting like you're like come on legs like have you got this have you not and one of them claire took it on the next i took it and then the um, europeans like from somewhere my legs found a minute and a half and put it in and, and but it was just exciting and i think if you take aside like where paralympic sport is that's the way it should be moving to the point that actually it is competitive it makes good watching there's more people for us to race so i'm hoping that myself grace and claire are encouraging other people to come forward and be part of paratriathlon because I'd love to see it evolve to the point where there's like, I guess in the elite women's now, there's so many of them that line up that could take that title at any given race. It would be fantastic to get like paratriathlon to that point.
0: And Tokyo test event was one of your kind of great battles as well, wasn't it? Last year.
1: Yes, yeah, uh. so I think pretty much all of them, we, we turned up to Montreal and I said to my coach, like, I couldn't even push 80 watts six weeks ago so i just want to finish this race and see how it goes um and you know it went really well and then what came after that yeah we had tokyo which i didn't know how i was going to respond to the heat because i think heat is such a hard thing to train um you you just don't know how your body's going to react and how you think you will react you can have a totally opposite effect so i was fully aware of that and then we turned into a duathlon and I wouldn't really say that running is my strength, so I was like, "Oh gosh, how's this going to go?" As well, so I really did just go in, going, "Do you know what? I've got my lucky pineapple socks on. Let's just just give this a good go." Um, and got out onto the run, and I'd actually had a niggle three weeks before Tokyo, which had stopped me running for three weeks. Um, and I shouted to my coach, "I can feel the niggle coming on," and he was like, "Just just ease up. Just go round. You know, just that's the more important thing: injury prevention." Um, and then I just, it kind of went away. And I, I found my legs just sort of started to come back and I just pulled away. Um, so yeah, I think my my wings were shocks actually to me. Um, I might've looked like, all oh, like I was in control, but I think I was actually running like, what is going on here? Um, but no, it was great to just get the experience of that. Um, and then two weeks later, I think I didn't fully recover from Tokyo and the heat properly. Um, so at Worlds, we ran shoulder to shoulder again. Um, and I guess I've never been in those sorts of positions. So. I was told off afterwards for always taking the wind at the front and I should have let Claire take, and I didn't even know that was a thing. I knew it on the bike, but I didn't know it on the run. So I was like, actually good point. Um, but yeah, got pipped at the post there. Um, but then I was really, really happy for Claire. Like it was mixed feelings again. Cause I was like, it's the world title gone. But at the same time, like she's worked so hard and I could see the emotion. On it. And, and it was so, so lovely. Um, and then, yeah, two weeks after that we had Europeans and again, we'd come out on the bike and I thought right this time I am not falling for that again um so my coach just gave me that sort of look on the sideline and I was like okay, okay right so like I put a stint in and my fellow teammate Andy Lewis was there and he encouraged me the whole way um so no it was it was a fantastic race like
0: I loved it yeah and Good memories presumably the two of you will be kind of tre- much of your Tokyo build-up will be spent together as well will it
1: I think so. Um, I'm unsure as to what races are there at the moment. And um, I don't really know, for example, you said about Grace being in Alhambra. She actually asked a race and got put on the waiting list. So I don't know how they're quite going to work, how they do the start list in power on next year um, and what events are available. So I'd like to think that probably most races next year, me and Claire will be racing each other. Um, but I'm unsure how Claire might want to race her season. Um, I think my coach, he's up for doing as many races as possible um, just because we've not had them this year. So she might be the same or she might be different.
0: When you took up paratriathlon, it was already by then in, you knew that it was going to be in Rio 2016, right? Ah, when did that, I thought that had, decision had come in sort after of after, said,
1: after I'd started. Right. It then got told. So I went in not knowing if I was ever going to be a Paralympian again. But knew that I loved the sport enough, and that actually, you know, World Championships is still a pretty high level to get to. Um, But then when it got made into a Paralympics, I was like, this is fantastic. So I didn't know, but then when I found out, I was really shocked.
0: Yeah. So that that Copacabana, like that that the swim was obviously kind of just for the listeners. Like the the silver, I don't (laughs) want to have to make you go through this again, but there was uh, there was a certain issue with the swim. Was that part of the whole? That we that we talked about, like the whole logistical kind of craziness of 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 a big race like that, and and sort of so many things to think about. Or
1: I think you you literally cover all aspects in your head. And I was favourite to take the gold, which I think unless you've been in that position, it's a really really difficult thing to deal with. Everyone is looking at you, and there's expectations that go through the roof. And I I can remember looking at myself in the bathroom mirror of the hotel going. Lauren, you never have to do a race again. You don't I will never put you through this again. I got myself into such a state, so it probably didn't help. Um, but then also what didn't help was I'm the sort of person that because I'm a swimming background, I love to do the swim recis. Like I know courses inside out, and we didn't do the swim reckies because of the water pollution. They didn't want, you know, us to get ill. We just went to the top of our hotel and looked at what it could be, um, which I guess Fine, And then when I was actually in the race, um, I can remember getting to the first boy, looking up and seeing the furthest orange one, but I didn't see the yellow one to my right. Um, And that is where I went wrong. I went straight for one that I shouldn't have. um, And everyone else went on the right course. So when I looked across, I could see everyone on the right course. And he was like, you need to go back 25 meters to that boy and then back. And I was like, and at that point, I pretty much knew in my head you because Grace is a phenomenal runner. So it was always my swim versus her run. So I was like, well, you've pretty much just handed someone the gold medal. Um, But in my head, and that's the moment that I learned something, I didn't give up. I just went, oh, whoops, okay, right, turn back. And by the end of the swim, I'd caught everyone up and I was back in second position just behind Grace. Um, But, you know, 36 degrees in a wetsuit. I'd fried myself, Um, but yeah, did a, a quick transition, got out onto the bike, but it was kind of a, I guess if you're out of sight, out of mind, but at this point, Grace was with me. So she knew that if she stayed within sort of 20 seconds of me that she could outrun me. So she just, every time I accelerated, she was with me. Every time I slowed up, she was she just stayed there, which was like, for her, Grace, great racing tactics. Um, but it got onto the run and I, I, I didn't have anything. It all gone on the swim, trying to catch up. So it was a really tough moment crossing the line. Um, and obviously, out there, we at that point we didn't have any coverage of the race out on the water, so no one really knew. They were all a bit like, "What has gone wrong?" Um And then Grace sort of come along, and she was like, "Lauren swam the wrong way," and I was like, "Yeah, I did." <laughs> um, So yeah, it was it was tough. It was really hard. And actually, I had another big chunk of time out after Rio because it was really hard for me to. I was really resentful towards sport. I could just it really really upset me, and like yeah, I just didn't touch my did didn't go anywhere near my bike. Um, and then my coach now, Robin comes to me and he was like, listen, you have unfinished business and you are a phenomenal athlete and it's, you've not finished what you started yet. So come on, let's sort this out. Um, and so I came back, um, but yeah, I was, I was in a, yeah, not a good headspace post that.
0: Really? Yeah. And compounded, no doubt. Like, you know, you want to be coming out of a Rio Paralympics sort of with a silver and just being great about the experience let alone the performance right and if it's constantly just there in the
1: well that was the other thing was my mum was like listen if I'd have told you when you were little you're going to have a silver medal from the paralympics that is amazing and I was like yes but it's just I guess it's your own personal expectations isn't it and what you know you can deliver and it wasn't as though I wasn't ready to take the gold or that I wasn't at peak fitness. Some, something else had got logistically had got in the way. And that's where I probably felt a bit like I'd not done myself justice. Um So since then I have always swum every swim recce and I've never swum the wrong way since.
0: And, and obviously, you know, that, that will have all stood you in good stead for, for Tokyo and Tokyo will be another step up for the sport in general. And you've over the last, will, will be 10 years, you know, that, that sort of trajectory of the sport, you must've, I mean, you've been right in the thick of, this incredible period of time for, for para triathlon, the progression into WPS into more world cups, all of that and, and better coverage on TV. It must be amazing to have been at the front line of all of that.
1: Yeah. It's been, it's actually been really beautiful to be part two things, I guess, part of a sport that actually, yes, we are elites. We race at elite level, but triathlon has the beauty of being an option for anybody. So you can be, I know eight or nine years old and they make road bikes now for the eight or nine year olds and you are open water swimming with your parents because they do triathlon you can be someone that's actually in the corporate world and needs a, an outlet to get rid of all the stress and there are triathlon clubs out there for you you can be an, an older person like if you see some of the people that actually compete at some of the age group races I don't know how, how they're still racing it but it's so amazing to see so anybody any age and you can do it anywhere that for me to see people getting involved in a sport that's so welcoming as well um like I've never seen a hostile triathlete it's like oh you do cycling come along with me like it's amazing um to be part of it but then to see it at the next level encourage lots of people with disabilities it's not an easy one to overcome you've got three different disciplines like if you've got a disability like one of those might be hard and I think a turning moment for me was um, two years ago perhaps at a European race there was a young lad that was a quadruple amputee so no hands below the elbows and no legs kind of like no ankles or lower leg and I was like and this guy had a normal bike he had a normal bike and he would push forward on the the bars to brake. he would hit underneath to sort of change gear and I was like wow look look at the confidence and the courage that we're giving to people with that is a pretty severe disability to then go out and do a running race like it was inspiring me the whole time so as like i guess a paratriathlon movement i think when people watch a paratriathlon you know even people that close to know me that come to watch me race if it's in the uk they'll watch like i guess dave and uh, Alison, our blind athletes and melissa put their trust in someone to guide them on a bike that's flying around on a tandem. They'll, then they're running around corners and they can't quite see where they're going. You've got Joe who lost both of his legs um, in Afghanistan. And it's like, he's just absolute powerhouse. And I think it's people watch and it's inspiring and you take away any excuses that you might have. So to see more involvement in paratriathlon and then to see us, I guess, be integrated within the, the able-bodied kind of race schedule it's amazing to be part of something that's only going to go in, in a better direction and hopefully get more more people encouraged to do triathlon as a whole, but also more paratraffics. Um, and I'd like to think that perhaps in the future you'd see a paratrafflon event at every single triathlon that we have. But I know next year Leeds is going to host a paratrafflon as well, home one for me, which is great. It hasn't been in Leeds a paratrafflon for the last kind of two, three years. So, again, a step in the right direction.
0: And that, yeah, there was one particular corner in Lausanne last year where it, it, it was obviously a slight downhill and then an uphill into the corner and these tandems were just sort of just flying up there and yeah, you can't help but just be completely amazed by it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can remember the point where um, standing up on a tandem, so standing up on your own bike and I guess climbing a hill, I then remember the point at which um, British Trafficking had said to Dave and Alison and Melissa, right, you guys need to learn to get out the saddle. And at first it was just like the guides at the front sat down and the athlete at the back. Now when I watch them go up hills and they are simultaneously climbing on a tandem, just even that in itself is an absolute skill. Like just to spend time with, I guess with other disabilities, it it, it inspires me. Like it just, I guess for for like the guys that are PT, PTS, like ones and, and twos, like relying on other people and handlers and, yeah, I mean, what I probably would like to see, actually, is um, the stories of all of the athletes and where they've come from. Because some of our guys, and I'm, I, I wouldn't even know across other countries because of language barriers, but actually, was their disability from birth? Was it what their story is? Because some of our guys have phenomenal stories that nobody actually, you see them race, that's cool, but you don't know what it took to get there. Sometimes, even if you have to tell your story one time, 10 times, 100 times, that one person that hasn't heard it if you change their life or you install something in them that they didn't have before um, and that's one of the reasons why i say there's not very many of us there's probably still quite a few kids that are born with uh, and are missing um similar to me or not and just that one child if you install a sense of like on strictly and one lady sent me a picture his name was bailey and he was like, I'm dancing, and I'm like Lauren, and he had no arm missing, and I was just like, if I've just given that little boy confidence to do what he wants, that is fine, Um, and the the most beautiful one that came from SAS was a lady, because of COVID, uh, in the UK, people, you have to go to all your pregnancy tests and stuff on your own, most of my friends at the moment are having babies, that's how I know this, I'm still there riding my bike, but that is fine, Um, but basically, she's gone for a scan, and the the doctor said to her you're having a little girl missing her lower right arm and her husband wasn't there so she had to go home and tell him and they basically they've got three children already and they were just they didn't know what to think they were lost because they'd never been in this situation they didn't know how they were going to deal with it and she said we were watching TV on a monday night and there's you bossing it on SAS <laughs> what you want how you want running down a cliff face and um, so she got into contact with me and just said, you know, and she doesn't know how she's feeling right now or any of this, but she's reached out to me because she's seen me on TV. And I said to her, Listen, I know what it's like to live life having one hand and I can tell you that your kid will be fine, she'll do everything, there's not nothing she can't do, but you should speak to my mum because my mum's the one that obviously carried a baby and so they had a long one hour conversation and since then um the baby's been born, she's beautiful, she's healthy, she's loved, um, but it's small things like that. And I think just There'll be, if we use Joe again as an example, um, there will be another mother out there that their son's going to come home from fighting a war with his legs missing. And Joe's story just installs confidence and belief that actually there's more to life than having more limbs. And, you know, it's a different way of life, but it's still an awesome way of life.
0: And your success is testament entirely to your parents as well, isn't it? And that must be incredibly gratifying for them, particularly over something like lockdown. It's like, daughter's coming back and everything that she has is in some way trace backable, you know, there's so many variables and reasons that things could have worked out very differently, but through a combination of their right decisions and your toughness that came out of that, it's all.
1: Yeah. We're going to make my dad's head very big now. So
0: yeah. <laughs> just knocked it on the head. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, so just to close, I mean, that, that it's been a, a brilliant um, tour of, of your life for the last, 27 years almost but um you know in in terms of this year and and generally just outside of racing what you know what do you what do you do to relax are there other sports that you you know watching the blooming all blacks against the wallabies and there's 70,000 people in that stadium and you're like wow yes sport as it should be thing you know what what sort of pushes your buttons
1: um you know I think I'd just like to see the world safely get back to where it was there are some things that I don't think need to return because I think actually um I'll be all on I watched David Attenborough's thing the other day on the planet and how actually us slowing down is probably going to save our planet because if we don't um there's going to be no planet so half of me thinks that some things should remain um I think that generally an awareness of hygiene has been a fantastic one just to install back into us but I do miss I'm a very social person I'm a very family and friends oriented person I miss the social aspect of things I miss I guess exploring I've missed seeing the world this year there are a couple of places on the race calendar that you know would have been different ones to pin on the map um so yeah it will be great next year to think that you know we'll have perhaps got a vaccine we'll be in a better position than we are now that the games can happen and that we can have spectators and i couldn 't imagine going to a Paralympics or the Olympics for that matter, and there's no spectators there's no atmosphere, there's no vibes. Um, the one reason that probably I would say Rio was the best race i've ever done in Paratrathlon was because we do five k laps, but everyone on Copacabana came out, and there wasn't a break in the barrier in, and for us in Paratralon, that made such an amazing atmosphere, and no matter even though I had a GBE strapped on my butt, yeah like, go g b it didn't matter what country they were and the thought of going to Tokyo next year with no one watching, like it would just be traumatic. So I think I'd love to see that that actually people can come to watch us and that, you know, but only if if we're safe, obviously. Um, And if not, then we will race just because hopefully everyone that's watching at home would have entertainment on TV, but we'll see.
0: And in terms of like, you know, when you're wanting to just forget training and racing in COVID worlds for a few hours what's what's your kind of go-to um,
1: so at the moment i'm sat in portugal and i've got until next tuesday off so every day i wake up and i'm like oh should we go for a with a bike and i'm like no nope, this is your only time off until we the games next year so enjoy it um so i've been beach walks um i'm actually launching another round of clothing to raise if i can get anywhere near the 20,000 that we raised um last march for mine i'd like to raise a similar amount for the charity action for children and um, we're releasing christmas jumpers which we're working really hard on so right now i'm sat down on the computer going through the uh, the sku codes and all the images and finding endorsers to wear these t-shirts so that's my current um my job this week
0: um, are we talking classic christmas jumper you know the
1: no we're not talking bright bubbly cheesy i'm going on the same vibes of you're stronger than you think uh, keeping a geometrical theme and this christmas jumper is to remind everyone that they are strong that the unity and actually christmas is a time for coming together sharing gifts sharing love we might not be able to come together this year so i want to create like an online community um but no these christmas jumpers are a tad different so when you see them up and running um Please um, let me know what you think.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's going to be a very important Christmas, isn't it, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, I think so. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Lauren. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And uh, good luck with the the rest of the year and coming back to Portugal and, and so on.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Fantastic to hear from Lauren Stedman over in Portugal. And she, of course, features in some of the amazing action from the likes of the Tokyo Test event and Lausanne Grand Final, available to watch on triathlonlive.tv. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks when we look back over the brilliant career of New Zealand's Ryan Sissons. Thanks for listening.